Hello and welcome everybody to a new episode of the Advanced Real Estate Talk. I'm here with my co-host uh, Darcy and Glenn. Today is second part. It's the second part of our uh, episode uh, of our series dedicated to uh, real estate lingo. And uh, if you tuned into the first episode, so we will cover a few more concepts that we think are key to real estate investing. And maybe I can start us off with some general uh, remarks about. Uh, two strategies, uh, Burr and buy and hold. So Burr, the Burr strategy is uh, often used in real estate. Uh, it stands for buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. And this is a very powerful strategy to grow one's portfolio since you extract the funds you have invested and can invest them somewhere else after. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've done it in a, on, a, on a few properties and uh, for me in my case it took me a little longer to refinance because of the terms um, provided by my financial institution but overall it was a great uh, great way to um, to, uh, to uh, get debt and, and, and be able Just to... curious Ari what was the what was they, why did they make you extend it was it like a seasoning period that needed to happen No it wasn't a seasoning period it was uh, their, their, their rules after you need there was a certain amount of time between the time you purchase and the time you can refinance okay okay kind of kind of a seasoning period right because they, yeah they want you to own it they want it to be stabilized they want to see rent rolls for a certain period of time yeah yeah so okay. they just corporately, corporately are slow for a while now and uh, mm-hmm. it still applies okay cool. sorry sorry to cut you off i was just curious <laughs> it's an interesting concept the seasoning concept uh with yeah. the fix and flip mm-hmm. Well, it's because they don't do it. So they don't know how it works, really. Yeah. It's just a strange thing. There could be people involved in banking that have no idea what you're doing. What they know, they, what they do, they know the paperwork and how to attach security. But they have no idea what you're doing. Hmm. And these are seasoned commercial bankers. You have to take them out and show them. They go, oh, that's pretty cool. Well, that's my business for 20 years. What, what else do you finance? I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm really not sure. And the other topic I was supposed to cover today is uh, buy and hold. Um, so when we spoke about syndications last week, and uh, syndications usually have a timeline. Uh, usually you, you raise funds and uh, the project is supposed to last three, five years, maybe sometimes longer. Um, I like the strategy of buy and hold because, uh, again, talking about refinancing, uh, refinancing is great. Uh, you you get new debt uh, on an asset that has potentially appreciated thanks to the rent increase and the value of the property increasing, and and you get those this uh, these these funds um, tax free rather than uh, selling. Uh, you get a new loan, and uh, as we know, you know real estate appreciates over time usually, and. And, um, and buy and hold strategy has the other advantage that uh, you can keep the real estate for as a legacy uh, across generations, which uh, some people do and like. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in Europe. You know what? That's probably going to happen in like Canada anyway, too, because things will get so expensive that they'll just keep these things in, you know, you yep. stop buying and selling them so much and you just keep them forever and ever. Yeah. And yeah. 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 There are certain tax a, limits. A lord, right? Yeah. But it's called, a title? in Europe, it's a lord. Yeah. Sorry. Right? sorry. Yeah, no. Go ahead. There are certain tax um, uh, limitations on that in refinancing that equity out. Um, nobody looks at your balance sheet 
and you're, you could have a property that's highly successful as a real estate purchase and your balance sheet is negative um, and your accountant will have trouble with that. And it is an indication that you extracted more out of that property that you put in. Um, it's CRA has an interpretation on that and you should seek some tax uh, authorities on it. Not CRA, but a, a reputable tax account, a tax attorney. Um, you defer taxes on it when you take that equity out in the form of a mortgage. It comes back when you sell the property or wind it up or transfer it to your heirs through an estate sale or something or estate freeze. That is recalculated and the money that you've taken out of that project is considered to you either a dividend, a capital gain, or you know, a shareholder loan, There's, it is taxable it, at some point in the future. Um, the, the thing that we tell our investors too, when we do a refinance and we put a new mortgage on, new funds on it, and there's funds from the remortgage, uh, the interest is being written off in the project. So you're getting this money and the interest is, this, and the assumption is by CRA and everyone else involved, is that using that, that so strictly speaking, the new mortgage should have a separate calculation of interest proportionate to the investors. And that interest should be paid by the investor in the property and the money taken somewhere else reinvested and then cross calculated. But some projects, they do the interest in the first project, write it off there, and allow you to reinvest elsewhere. It's taking a nominal risk that you could be audited in CRA saying, no, we'd like you to calculate all the interest proportionately from the new money's funds taken out of this project. Um, but that's, that's the genius of a buy, hold, renovate, and repeat. You can keep, do this forever. Just keep refinancing the next on the next. It's fantastic. So how does it work for you? Let's say, you know, you do a refi after three years. You, you mentioned the CRA looks at the, the funds you extract. Can you expand a little bit on that? Well, they don't. There's no actual place to report that. It's not income but you're getting equity from refinance. And you know, in many cases, it's just a return of your, in, your initial income, income. You put your money in. Which is not a taxable event. Not taxable, you should get your money back. That is a good yeah. investment and they're encouraging Canadians everywhere to do that. In fact, don't do anything other than that. You should get a return on your money and it should be returned to you. Any investment that is a tax loss, is not an investment, it's a scam, you should run. Um, but that initial return investment is not taxable. We're talking when you go beyond that to refinance a lot of equity out of a building. Um, it is not reported to CRA. There's no reporting. You just take on debt. But it will show on your balance sheet that you've recalculated your debt. Mm. Um, they're interested in taxable income and what uh, those taxable categories. There's no way to calculate that at this point. But an awful lot of investments are, are funneled or fueled by refinance on a prior a successful asset, especially in real estate. That is exactly how it's done. You do this over and over successfully. You'll have a lot of properties that have a balance sheet that's negative, but you'll have a lot of properties. And that's the point. So you just have to be really careful. It's worth talking to your accountant about these things just yeah. to make sure. Don't don't assume and nobody listening to our podcast should be doing quick tax or turbo tax or get someone, get a pro. They're totally worth it. They're not that expensive and then they yeah. They, they make, they'll save you more than what they actually cost. Um, mm -hmm. one, one note about doing these refinances is if you're doing this as a JV, your partner is always excited to get all their money back, but you make sure you lay out how this is going to look afterwards because 
some of them don't realize that their cash flow is going to cut a lot. It's going to drop. Yes. Because you've ripped all the, <laughs> you've taken the equity out of the project. You're mm-hmm. now paying a higher mortgage. There's some higher fees throughout. Um, yeah. Yes, they got their, on their money back. Yes, they can go and use it for something else, another one of your projects, someone else's project, go pay off the loan they borrowed the money from, whatever they like. Um, but you just have that conversation because everyone's all excited to get their money back, but then they might be like, Oh, but you know, my, my cash flow, I just dropped from, I don't know, eight to 12%. And now it's like five. It's like, Mm -hmm. there's nothing in it. Right. Uh, and you're like, yeah, but it's infinite actually, because you have nothing in it. Right. (laughs) Depending Mm -hmm. if it was a perfect bar or not, or what you pulled out. Um, often usually it should go up though because the amount of money that's in the project goes way down too, right? When you're doing these calculations, like maybe Darcy could transition into his ROI conversation because this is almost the exact same thing. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. We're going to talk about money stuff now. This is a perfect transition. Um, I think I'm going to do cash on cash first because that's where it's going to be affected. So what Glenn is talking about is you have a, a, a mature project with a lot of equity in it. It's time to refinance. You raise your mortgage on that property. Let's say it's a million dollar property. Your mortgage used to be 500,000 because it was a $700,000 property. Now it's worth a million. And you can mortgage right up to 700,000 on it now. 70% of loan to value, very safe mortgage. You take the $200,000 out, but it also crushes your return on your, your cash on cash return. And you'll, you'll see people talking about cash on cash, the, uh, phrases like cash is king. And it's true. What the property really pays you in money at the end of the day is what you can spend. You could have a lot of high net worth because you own a large farm and the, and, the, and the equity is in the land, but you may not even be able to pay your property taxes because it's not making you any money. What really matters at the end of the day is how much cash is this project making? And cash on cash is a, a popular way to describe this. And what it is, is your pre-tax annual amount before taxes are calculated after expenses. Last week, um, Ori talked about your net operating income and what might go into that calculation. Whatever you decide in your net operating income, expenses before that to get your net, that's the number you're talking about. That's the cash that you have. That does not include mortgage repayment or principal, like principal and interest, just the cash. And then that's your numerator. Your denominator is the amount of money you put in to purchase. And how much is in there. Now, if you've extracted a lot of your money or substantially all your money return of capital, it is quite possible that you have a cash return of $10,000 as your numerator and your denominator is zero. You have no money left in the project. After that point, you're, you're technically your return on that property is infinite. If you divide zero into any number, you have an infinite number. Right. It's, it's incalculable. Um, but, you know, that happens. That's what can happen in real estate. You can get enormous returns. But remember, they're based on relatively small numbers. Right. There's statistics and percentages and stuff. And that you can lie in awful lot of ways with numbers. So be careful what's into that. But what it cash and cash is your, uh, your pre-tax annual income after you've calculated your expenses out over top of what you put into it. And that's a really relevant number. Is this thing making you money? I put $250,000 into the property and I'm making $10,000 a year. That's not a high cash return, but that is a typical cash return for real estate, right? That you should know that. 
putting $250,000 into a property is not a retirement plan. There's just not enough money. You're not going to make 50 grand a year in cash. You might make a 20% return. And we'll get into that, what that looks like, but you can't, but that is going to be principal repayment. It's going to be increasing equity and other elements that go into that. It won't, it's unlikely to be cash unless you just found the mother load. All right. That's cash on cash. Glenn, you have some more financial terms to confuse us with. <laughs> yeah. Well, my, I, hope that's I, want to talk, I want to talk ROE, which okay. is almost exactly what Darcy calculated, but ROI is the more popular return on investment versus return on equity. And what the difference is, is whenever you're calculating ROI, you're talking about how much money is in the deal, right? But it's yeah. like how much physical money is left in the deal. Like you said, if after the refi, it's what's left in there. It's at the start is your deposits and you know, whatever else you did to put into this deal, right? To get this going. But with ROE, you're including the appreciation and equity that have showed up in these properties. And a lot of people will say, well, that's icing on the cake. Yes. But do you know what equity returns as an interest rate? Zero. All that money yeah. could be zero. And right now we're in a very sexy market in both Canada and the United States where things are appreciated an incredible amount of time. And people go, yeah, no, I'm like my Canadian stuff or my stuff in New York or Chicago, it's doing well. I got my nice 13% return or something, right, on their real estate. But what they're not, what, by doing an REOE calculation rather than an ROI calculation, they'll find that, yeah, they bought that property for $200,000. And based on that purchase price and the original $50,000 that you put down on it, yes, it cash flows really well. The only catch is that that property is actually worth $700,000 now, and there's $500,000 that's earning 0%. And whenever you factor that in with an ROE calculation, just putting the adding all the equity that's in the property as well uh, to the bottom, the denominator, um, you'll see that some of these properties that you thought were performing really well we're not performing, but you have to do it on an even playing field. So you have to compare ROE on properties that ROE on properties, not confusing them with ROI because the numbers aren't going to, it's not a fair comparison, right? They're mm -hmm. calculating different numbers. Yep. Um, what we like to do, I like to do this once a year is just to go through my whole thing and do an ROI uh, analysis and then go through all the properties and do an ROE analysis. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of people go with those ROEs. Yes, sometimes you can get a line of credit. Sometimes you could refinance it. But sometimes the hard part about refinancing is because uh, that's where you, you need to get that money working. Is the real whatever I'm going mm -hmm. with this. Um, but sometimes the deal doesn't make sense afterwards, and people want to sell properties after they don't make as much sense, even though you've taken that money and put it into several other projects. And so you have to do it as a whole group. But a lot of times people. They look, they, they think of it as a big group when you first start, but then once you're going through this project, they look at the return on each property <laughs> as well. And they'll go, maybe we should sell that one property. And then a lot of times you're going, why do we do this refinance? I'm going to kind of go on a tangent of stories that have actually happened to me, oh. but um, you know, why are we, why are we doing keeping this property around? I don't, I don't know, but ROE is a good way to look at it at least once a year. Um, Absolutely. Break it down. Yeah. And figure out where you're at, and then look at the solutions. Just even looking at how much equity is in your property. Um, yeah. Can you extract that with a home and equity line of credit? Can you, can you, can you make a better interest rate than zero? I hope so. Yeah. 
<laughs> I could tell a couple of quick, really quick stories on that. So available credit is shouldn't be wasted. If you have a lot of equity sitting there that's dead, we've called it dead equity in prior shows. You've got yep. a property that's matured, you have a mortgage on it, and the market has gone way up, but your rents can't follow that fast. Out here in Western Canada, properties have gone up like 14, 12, 11% a year. Rents have gone up 1.2, 2.1 is the highest in the last four years. So your rents are not following. You can't service debt on a property that used to be worth 3 million that's now worth seven. And you're sitting with $4 million worth of equity in that property. Maybe the smart move is to sell it, but I could tell you a couple of reasons why I have and why I haven't. In Ontario, you've seen a, uh, if your listeners are listening and paying attention right now, uh, properties increased significantly in value. We had a bunch of properties in Southern Ontario. You're breaking up. Yeah, I think we lost them. Darcy. Darcy, you there? Maybe you should rejoin and uh, just join with the voice, with the audio. If you can hear us. Hmm. I thought my internet was going to be the one that was uh, that was sketchy. Can you talk about really good numbers? Had mortgage. Oh, he's back. No, now he's gone. <laughs> oh, he's back for a half a second. Can you do short sales after? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I have a little note. I can whip through it quick. If we can get Darcy to finish his story. Should I just do it? <laughs> can you edit it? Yeah, I can edit it. We went uh, maybe 30 minutes for the first episode. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's a lot to cover. And like, literally when, as we started to do this, I'm like, man, we could talk. I, I was thinking about it too. Even short sales and foreclosures. When I do that as my coaching, that's a whole hour <laughs> lecture that I'm going to do in like two minutes. Right. And like a lot of these topics, uh, lease options, that's a whole hour lecture on its own. Right. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know. Is it going with your students? How many do you have now? Uh, I, I'm keeping it to groups of five and I have three groups. I'm never going to get bigger than three groups. I only want to do three groups at a time. So 15 or four, I think 13 right now, because there's two groups of four and a, a group of five. And then I'm starting another group in, uh, in August, first week of August, I'm going to start a new one. And then I think the third week of August, I'll start another new one, but yeah, just keep, keep doing that. I don't know. Should I just continue? <laughs> Should I just do like the short sale part? Yeah, go ahead. I don't know. Okay. Um, another topic that, uh, that we wanted to talk about is short sales. And a lot of people, it's another one of those tools that people will gloss over. Uh, and the easiest comparison to what a short sale is, is to talking about foreclosures. Because it's, it's in the same ballpark is a foreclosure and it's um but what the issue is is the bank is actually shell selling the property at a short they're selling the property for less than what's owed on it so if the mortgage was a hundred thousand dollars they're selling it for under one hundred thousand dollars it could be ninety nine thousand dollars it's just a, a little short 
And in all honesty, if you want to get shorts approved, the closer you are, um, the more likely it is to get approved. Um, but the banks always have a number in their head, and it's actually in their computer system for a foreclosure or a short sale about what they're looking to get with it uh, for the property, um, especially once you bring this to their attention that it's something you're interested in doing. Um, the process for a short sale is you can find these on um, the MLS. They are listed properties. And what you do first is you negotiate with the person selling the property. Right. Um, and it could be like the market is down or something's happened to the house, but for whatever reason, the house is less valuable than when they bought it. Um, so you negotiate with the seller to buy the property for that price. And then once that's agreed upon, you still have nothing. <laughs> it's still, uh, it's still not actually a contract, even though you've fully agreed on it, or it may not come to fruition. Um, the next step is you get to get the bank to approve the whole thing. And this sounds like a very simple, quick process, but in my cases that I've done them, it's usually five to seven months to close these properties oh, wow. from having it under contract with the seller. Um, it, there's a lot of departments they need to go through. There's a lot, of, I'm guessing there's a lot of paperwork on their side, um, but it, it is a slow process. Um, duh, duh, duh. Why would the owner uh, <laughs> why would the owner be want to do this? Why would they want to do a short sale? Um, it's to save their credit, right? They want out of the property. They're usually not going to get little to nothing for selling it. They just want out, really. Um, at least the ones that, I, that I've purchased. That's what their their situation is, and that's why they're willing to sell it for less than the mortgage on it, which means they ain't getting paid because the bank gets paid first, right? So. Um, why the other side of the coin is why would the bank want to do this? Um, well, the bank is not in the real estate business. They don't want to own real estate. They don't want to do foreclosures. They're expensive. They're long process. Uh, they don't want to do any of these things. And that's why they would agree to doing uh, a short sale. And so I, I talked a lot about the good stuff about doing short sales, but there's some downsides too. Um, the big thing, as I just mentioned, is a lot of these times they take five months, seven months, even longer I've heard of, to close these properties. You've put a deposit in, and that deposit's been sitting with a real estate firm for that whole time. So there's a lot of opportunity costs, depending on what they're looking for for a deposit. Like it could be, you know, five grand, it could be 20 grand of your money just sitting there, not doing anything. Uh, and so... And the other problem is, is, so say you want to even, you're going to put the deposit down. Or I'll give you, say it's a low one. I'm going to give you four grand or five grand, right? Okay, that's fine. And you just wait. You just wait the five to seven months. And then, and then the bank finally agrees to it. And then it's go mode, like typhoon mode. We're going to close this property now in like two weeks. So you had to have their, your money and all of your stuff lined up for that whole period while you were waiting for this short sale to get approved by the bank. And so, yeah, you've, you've had your money sitting there for five months. That's what happens when every time I've done it, my deposit sits there. And then um, I need more of deposit. Like that's my earnest money deposit is sitting there. But on top of that, I'm keeping a whole bunch of money in my bank account because I need at least my deposit to purchase the property with financing. Or sometimes I want to do cash. I have to let that all that money just sit there and wait. 
So this has to be a good deal still. It has to be a good deal because a lot of opportunity costs that can be done lost anytime you're doing anything with a really long waiting period. Um, and that's really, I don't want to go too deep into the short sale thing. Whenever I do talk about it with uh, when I'm teaching it, it's a full hour long lecture, but those are some of the quick in and outs of that. And I think a lot of people uh, just need to know, understand what it is and not actually how to do it. And if they'll, they'll go figure it, they'll be watch some, you, they'll watch some videos or get some training if they're actually going to go right into it. This would have to apply for where the return is commensurate with all the wait time and the interest and all the misery of waiting. These are for, you know, really opportunistic purchases where yeah. the return is worth sitting, parking money and waiting on the uncertainty. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of these, I didn't actually talk about this, but I don't know the actual rate, but most never close. Most mm -hmm. never, ever, ever close. I put in, um, back in January, I think four lease option or not lease options, <laughs> short sale offers out and we got them approved by the seller and we've never heard from the bank ever. And when I talked to my realtor, they're like, it's dead. They're like yeah. they're all dead. Even though we had contracts with the sellers to sign, most of them don't make it all the way through. See, it's hard to Too build many. a business on that. I mean, I've well, it's not, it's, this yeah. is not the time to do short sales. There's not a oh. lot of them. It was oh. back when, whenever there's a crisis, that's when short yeah. sales work well. You get the financial crisis in 2007 to 10 in the States. You, even for like five years, even after that, you could yeah. just clean up on short sales. And that, that, was, that was, people made the whole, their whole wealth and fortunes from it. But it, right now it's, it's one of those strategies it isn't doesn't really work as well on a really hot market no and a stable market either where people are paying their payments it seems a bit it doesn't fit my profile it seems a bit predatory i could see where it could work yeah but well, it's, it's, it's hard not to build predatory because usually the um they are advertising it that you're yeah. not even you're not doing like um, a mailing campaign to find these like a realtor and the seller have had a conversation and found out that the house is not worth what they need so they're going to lose money to sell yeah. and that's where it's it, it's already come from that place oh, and they've okay, advertised right. that they're in that place okay so you're Underwater. not it's not like if you're getting compared to like wholesaling or where you're actually mailing a list and negotiating that it's way less predatory than that because it's yeah. they've they've come to you instead of you're going after them yeah and like you were saying earlier they don't want their credit to be impacted so that's what no. they're that's why they're doing that, yeah that'll show up like just like a foreclosure like if they foreclose on it that would be a foreclosure i mean sure. they're like you know credit cards will disappear um like they may not be able to do a lot of things <laughs> for yeah. seven years yeah just not buying a house cool. yeah nice cool. okay well thank you everybody for tuning in that was the second uh, episode of our series dedicated to uh, real estate lingo Hope you've enjoyed it. If you have any questions, feel free to send them at advancedreitalk at gmail.com, advancedreitalk at gmail.com, and we'll be pleased to answer them. And we look forward to seeing you all next week. Bye.